0: In 2022, I would love for you to join my Patreon group. I offer at least two bonus episodes a month and a monthly advanced read and pre-publication author chat. For those on Facebook, I host a special Patreon Facebook group where we all chat books. Thanks so much to those who already participate, and I hope you will consider joining us. Today, I am chatting with Anne Davila Cardinal about the storyteller's death. Anne is a novelist and director of recruitment for Vermont College of Fine Arts, where she also earned her MFA in writing. She comes from a long line of Puerto Rican writers. Anne is the winner of the International Latino Book Award and was a finalist for the Bram Stoker Award. Anne lives in Vermont. I hope you enjoy our conversation. And now for a quick break. For the last year, I have been focusing more on my health and my eating habits. In connection with that, I have started drinking AG1 in the morning. I first gave AG1 a try because I needed more energy. Since drinking AG1 daily, I have definitely felt more energized. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. I know with AG1, I'm giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know it is safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrient density. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and I am really happy to have them sponsoring my show. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash thoughtsfromapage. That's drinkag1.com slash thoughtsfromapage. Check it out. Welcome, Ian. How are you today? I'm great, thank you. How are you doing, Cindy? I'm doing great as well, and I am so glad you're here because I absolutely loved The Storyteller's Death, and I cannot wait to talk with you about it.
1: Oh, I'm so honored to be here, and thank you so much for those kind words. It was uh, 17 years in the making, so it means a lot to hear that.
0: Well, I have a lot of questions because it is such a unique, in a very good way, story, and there were just so many aspects of it that I have thought about. So many times since I finished it, so I just can't wait to hear about how it came about, where you got the idea, all of that. But before we do that, will you give me a quick synopsis for those that won't have read it yet?
1: Sure. So Isla Larson Sanchez is a young girl in New Jersey. Um, her mother is Puerto Rican. Her father is, um, I say, a gringo. You know, he's a, she's of mi- mixed cultural heritage, and. Um, her father dies when she's eight years old and her mother sort of breaks down and and pulls back. And she starts sending Isla down to Puerto Rico to stay with her great aunt. So Isla, you know, feels abandoned and is trying to deal with the loss of her father and dealing with her mother's alcoholism. But she, in some ways, begins to look forward to these trips with her family. And then when she's 18 when a storyteller in the Puerto Rican family dies, she starts seeing their stories as visions. And the only way to get rid of the vision is to write them down. That is until her great aunt dies and the visions don't stop. And she realizes she sees a murder and she realizes she has to solve the mystery. And so it's, as I said, it was a long time in the making and is very much rooted in my own story. So, but I I love magical realism. And so that was very important to me that that sort of evolved into a magical realist story.
0: So you have a fabulous Q&A that's in the back of my book, and I saw from reading that that a lot of this story is rooted in your story. So I would love to hear a little bit more about that.
1: Sure. I mean, I there are themes. I think every writer, no matter what you're writing, your own story comes through, you know, in one way or another. Um, that's what sort of lends depth to to fiction, you know. And Very often I write, I also write for teens and and middle grade readers. And when I was a kid, I didn't see my own story in books and I didn't see kids who were mixed. I didn't see stories about alcoholism. And so I really meant a lot to me to tell the stories that in case somebody else needed to hear them. and, And so they could know that it wasn't normal, but they weren't alone. And so I, my father died of ALS when I was eight. He was dying for five of my eight years Wow, And it was, you know, it was a very difficult time. And when you're eight, you don't quite understand. So I remember sort of wrestling with that. My mother, who was Puerto Rican, was an alcoholic, and her drinking got very bad at the end. And I did have siblings, unlike Isla. And so she would send me, she would ship me down to her great aunt. And so it was sort of telling the story as a way of my processing that feeling of being sort of shuttled off, um, you know, away from, from friends and any possibility of being rooted in a community in New Jersey. And what I've come to realize in adulthood is that that's, that saved my life because my family down there is is very loving and caring and they, they took good care of me. So in, in a way, this is my love letter to my Puerto Rican family and to the island, quite honestly, which I uh, really do attribute with, with saving my life in the, at that time.
0: Yes, it probably didn't feel like it, but it really was a gift to be able to spend that time with them and have them be able to provide for you and take care of you.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: Well, you mentioned Puerto Rico and its importance in the story, and that was one of the things that I absolutely adored about this book was that Puerto Rico's a character. I mean, I could just literally feel it around me as I was reading. I felt like I was right there with Isla, and you just so vividly bring it to life. Is that something that you really focused on or does that just naturally come with your writing? I'm grinning
1: ear to ear, if you could see me, because that that was one of my real hopes for this book was to bring the feeling, the smell, the warmth, the you know, everything of what the island feels to me through on the page. So to hear that is really, really important to me it it comes naturally it's interesting because i went to the mfa program at vermont college of fine arts and i remember a, an advisor saying you know you're so good at at setting you, you i can see it i can feel it you know i can hear it but i don't smell it and and she said that is the 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 sense that most writers forget but it is the most important when it comes to memory and that little piece of advice so many years ago changed my writing because, you know, if you're writing about food, for instance, if you don't have smell, it doesn't work. And so being able to bring that into the writing just elevated the senses. And so it, I really feel like that was the missing piece. And I I very much, when I was, as I said, I was sort of raised on magical realism. And so that, those books are so evocative, you know, you can really, you feel like you're there. And so it was important to me to sort of bring that particularly into this book and, and have readers like you feel like they can see it and feel it.
0: That is so interesting on the smell because it's not something I really paid attention to, but I just felt like as I was reading the entire time, wherever they were, if it was at the beach or if it was in the home or wherever, just that whole tropical feeling and just the way it was on the island, I truly felt like I was transported there. Now I'm going to have to go back and look on the smell. And that's just such an interesting point.
1: It, it was fascinating to me, and I hadn't realized I didn't include that. And they recommended, as we do in the program, several books that did it well. And I looked at that and saw how another writer did it. And it really was, you know, sort of that last puzzle piece. And particularly when I was writing about, you know, my great aunt's property, it was this lush. I mean, there were so many fruit trees there and and birds and and frogs and lizards. And I really wanted to bring that into play and make the reader feel it. So I'm, you know, I'm I'm grateful that that was able to come through and that that advisor helped me with that.
0: Well, and when you start talking about some of the political things that are happening and there's a parade and just the sense of like walking along with them and Isla kind of gets dragged into that for a little bit. And I could just kind of feel like part fear, but part excitement and just all of it. And then on top of it, with independent of the Puerto Rican aspect of it, her visions, you know, like those were so real to me. And I loved that because that's a very important part of the story.
1: Yeah. And that's another thing that I'm really grateful to hear because I actually used family stories from my own family because I wanted, I, you know, if you could it's so much, it's so convenient to make things up, you know, family stories up, but I wanted there to be, you know, some, not truth, but but some heft to, the, to them. So I used ones that I had heard from my mother. And the interesting thing is, she told them to me for years. And um, my great aunt would talk about the day the monkeys got loose from the zoo and all these things. And I remember after my mother's death, I was at a, a family lunch and I mentioned a couple of the stories. And, and my uncle, her brother, said, "Well, that's not true." <laughs> and I was like, "What?" And he says, "Yeah, that's not true. He he died in the hospital." And he didn't shoot himself. And the interesting thing is, I was very mad. I was, I felt lied to. I felt like my whole perception of the family was skewed. And, and a cousin said to me, he's like, Annie, why, why do you care? Doesn't the, don't the stories that aren't true say as much about us as the ones that are? And I, I had to bring that into the novel because he was absolutely right. But the really interesting thing is, Cindy, like two or three years ago, my other uncle, I mentioned this to him, and he said, no, he shot himself. <laughs> I said, what? And he said, no, no, no. they didn't tell Jorjito because he was too young. And I was like, okay. And it was like this roller coaster of whether it was true or not. And I had to sort of resolve that it, it didn't matter. It still formed my feelings and my, my perception of the Davila family, you know?
0: Well, and that's what I was just going to say to you is, I think that is one of those Mysterious things about family stories, family secrets is because you could talk to 10 people in a family and they can all have different points or remembrances or ideas about something that happened. And they're not all going to be the same at all. So it's, it's hard to know exactly what the truth is.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You get, it's like you experience different events sometimes with my sibling.
0: Yeah. Eyewitnesses, even, you know, but yes, I think some of it is your, your place in the family and what you're paying attention to. And then also it's the age, like he was too young. They didn't want to explain that he'd killed himself. I mean, I think it's a number of different things. People don't remember, stories get passed down differently, but it's just fascinating because you would think there'd be this one historical record, but there's not at all.
1: Exactly. Especially back then, you know, we're talking, there, there isn't a lot of documentation on the island in general. I mean, there's some in Spanish down there, but it's just, You know, it's starting to get better. Honestly, I recently learned something about my great uncle on Wikipedia that I did not know. Oh wow! I called up a cousin. He was a a, a Supreme Court justice on the island, and I called up his son and I said, "Carlos, was your did your father help write the the Constitution of the island?" He said, "Yes." I was like, "Well, why didn't anybody tell me that?" I found out on Wikipedia, and so it's like families are so weird—what they say and what they don't say.
0: I agree. And what's important to people and what's not. And so it probably just depends on who you're speaking to as to who's going to relay that type of information. Was it hard to write the visions because truly they were so vivid? Was that something you you kind of started with and then kept editing? How did all that work?
1: That actually was pretty easy because I, whenever I was told these stories, you know, that are at the base of the, the visions, you know, obviously they're altered. But when i was told these stories i would see them and i've always been a very visual i had mind movies you know always going and so all i really did was transpose them and then edit and so like the monkeys getting loose from the zoo i always had this image of course they tell me that one definitely wasn't true cuz the only zoo is on the other side of the island
0: <laughs> but it makes for a good story <laughs> exactly and and she, we just
1: would laugh and at a certain point she stopped being able to tell it cuz we'd start laughing but it was, you know, I had these distinct images of what had transpired when the story was being told. And so it was really pretty easy to to put that into vision. It, it, it sort of brought them to life for, again for me.
0: I love that. Well, there are several themes that are woven throughout the book. We've talked a little bit about some of them, the importance of family, secrets, storytelling. Did you have one that you felt was more important than the rest? I mean, my great, great grandfather shooting himself. You know, I my
1: mother would tell me this and my, you know, we're in the room that was next to the room, which, which my great aunt wouldn't let you into. And mom said it was because her father had shot himself in that room. And I was like, what? And here I was, you know, 10 years old. And I was completely freaked out because I'm picturing ghosts. And, and I already was into horror at that age. And so it was like, I just filled in the blanks. And you know, it was because he had TB and he didn't want to be at, uh, in position to the family. And um, I was just kind of, I mean, that got my imagination going. And so I think, and also just the idea that someone would take, you know, at that time would do something like that in order to, to I don't know, it was just such an odd choice.
0: Right. And then
1: my, my great aunt was left with the choice of either, to, you know, she had actually, she didn't have a choice. She had to take care of her Disabled siblings and her mother, and so just sort of the you know how families worked then because I was in a very different. Growing up in the states was very different, you know. I, I down there, you know, when you when you come into a room, you ask an elder for bendición. You you give me a blessing, and until you get the blessing, you you don't sit down. And so, and and you know, in New Jersey, I was a I was free range. You know, nobody was stopping me. My my parents were kind of hippies, and you know. So it was just fascinating to me, the idea that she had no choice but to sort of take over, you know, taking care of the family. And I found out on Wikipedia, Cindy, that, that my great-great-uncle, who was poet laureate of the island, Virgilio Davila, raised them and actually, when he died, and sort of helped support the family. And I had no idea on that either it really baffles me why why these these are not the stories that people tell because that is what our family is about you know and that you're having to find it out
0: on wikipedia
1: i know it's so weird
0: but i mean isn't every family so weird i mean i think when you start looking back at you know things that have happened in your own family you think oh maybe that you know that doesn't seem the most normal so i think everybody has strange stories
1: absolutely and it's just like i said a lot of stuff does not get i don't know whether it's a translation or it doesn't get, like a lot of the the writers on the island don't get translated to English. And so a lot of the, I mean, there's more Puerto Ricans in mainland US than there is on the island now. And so, and they don't get exposed to those writers because they're not translated. And so I think, you know, documentation and histories and things like that sometimes just sort of stop. And so I, one of the, one of my goals as a writer is to, is to help in some way to bridge to the island because I have, you know, my cousin is a very well-known writer on the island and she isn't known well here. And I, I love the idea of helping to sort of tell those stories or get those writers, um, help them get their stories told and, and have a bridge back and forth. You know what I mean?
0: Absolutely. To let people understand what Puerto Rico is like and have that story being told by Puerto Ricans.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And that's why when I, uh, published Five Midnights in 2019, which is a YA sort of horror. It's People were saying to me, this is, the, this is so exciting. It's the first book I've seen based on my island. And it made me sad. I mean, I was proud that I had done this, but I was like, we need more people grow- who have grown up on the island. I mean, I spent my summers there, but that's very different, you know? And so that's like, I want to, I would like in any way that I can to sort of help Bridge that that gap and, and expose people. There's like magical realism. There's so much on the island of Puerto Rico that's only in Spanish. And there is some that's been translated, but a lot that hasn't. And so um, you know, at some point I wanna I'm not capable of translating, but I would love to help get something translated so that it can be published here.
0: Well, and it definitely seems like slowly there's a movement to be getting stories from other places, translating, doing all of that. So hopefully that will continue.
1: Yes, I agree. It definitely has increased. It started raining here. Hopefully, hopefully it's sort of indicative of the story though. So
0: I think it's okay. It is indicative of the story. So that's perfect. And I can't hear it. So it's all good. Okay, great. I loved all of the historical detail that you included. What made you want to set the story in the 1970s?
1: That was the time I knew best. You know, that's the time I spent the the most time on the island. That was when I was was there every summer. And it was in many ways the most, it, no, it was the most difficult time in my life. But I was so immersed for the first time going without my mother. Um, when I was eight, I was so immersed in, in the culture of the island for the first time, rather than just as a tourist. So I saw different things in my first political rally. I was fascinated and my great aunt couldn't know relative took a bunch of us kids to this to this political rally and it was for the ones with the red heads the one I have in the the partido democratico and and so I was you know Mike this part of the family couldn't know I was going and it was just sort of felt exciting and secretive so I wanted to bring that in and it was like you said, I love that you said that it felt dangerous but exciting because that's how it felt there were so many people in the streets and and even protests down there, there's music, there's people dancing. It, it just felt like exciting and vibrant in a way that I didn't experience at home, particularly at that point in my life. And so I wanted to sort of bring that in. And it was an important time politically on the island. And so I felt like it was important to bring that context in.
0: Well, I really enjoyed that because I did learn a lot about that time period from your book, but I was just curious. And I always think it's a little bit easier these days to write Back in time because you don't have to worry about cell phones and communication and all that type of stuff.
1: It's true. It's true. It was definitely it was simpler and in some ways more complicated. And it was just you know I did a, a Spotify um, playlist to go for book clubs to go with this book, and I had such a good time with that because I was thinking about the music of the time. Salsa was at its sort of you know pinnacle, and and just sort of pulling those songs out and remembering hearing them on the radio and in the streets it was wonderful.
0: I'm so glad you mentioned that. I will put it in the show notes because I think it's so much fun when authors are doing these Spotify playlists that tie in with their books. And I agree with you on music. There are so many songs that you can just hear like the intro and it takes you back to wherever that song particularly reminds you of.
1: Exactly.
0: Well, another thing that I thought was interesting when I read your Q&A was the first sentence of your book. So I'm going to read it really quickly. There was always some old woman dying in the back room when I was a child. So that is such a great hook. And Mary Weber O'Malley came on my show not too long ago, and she and Pamela Klingerhorn recommended their favorite books of the fall, and yours was one of Mary's. And she commented on the first sentence and how it was such a hook. And then I get to the end, and that is a sentence you said to someone.
1: Yeah, I was just, we were talking about how we deal with the elderly in this country, and I said that you know when I was a kid there weren't homes down in Puerto Rico and it was it was a badge of honor to take care of your elderly you know and um there indeed was always some old woman dying in the back room and I was sort of again baffled by it but my cousins it was normal for them <laughs> and so they would just sort of you know they'd play cards on on this woman's you know blanket and and it was just sort of part of of their lives their daily lives they lived with her And for me, it was like, oh, no, 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 you you put that person in a home or in a hospital. And now, in retrospect, I'm like, wasn't that wonderful that she was taken care of by family? And so I wanted to, that was how it started. I was just talking about that. And a friend of mine said, that's it. That's it. That's the first line of a story. And whenever I try to write short stories, people say, this wants to be a novel. And so then it continued on. but. I wrote it as part of my MFA, and um, it was my thesis. And it, it just needed something else. I reworked it in different ways. I went from first person to third to first. You know, I over the years it kept haunting me, and I kept going back to it. And um, when Krista Desir at, at Sourcebooks bought it, she, she's like, it was interesting, Cindy, because it went from eight years old to eighteen. There was just a couple of paragraphs about the difficult times in New Jersey. And Chris is like, Anne, I, I think we need to show that. And I'm like, oh God, I'm going to have to go there. I'm going to have to go there, you know, and tap very, very painful memories. But the really interesting thing is after all these years, they came out fully formed. Those four chapters just, just came out. They were barely had to be edited. And I think it's because they were in my mind for so long. And that just, that was another puzzle piece. It was like, okay, she was absolutely right. And so to have, have an editor who loves the book as much as you do and, and who can see what it needs
0: when you can't
1: was really significant.
0: Was that cathartic?
1: Oh, extraordinarily, extraordinarily. But it was, it was during the pandemic and, uh, there was, you know, there was a solid two weeks there where I was kind of a mess. And and I'd walk with my family, you know, because during the pandemic, I would walk, take these long walks in Vermont with my husband and son. And, you know, we'd sort of talk about it. And sometimes I just need to go out by myself. So it was cathartic, but it was also hard. It was sort of hard coming up,
0: you know? I would certainly think so, because I had no idea it was so personal when I was reading the book. And I would think that would be so difficult. But in the end, you would feel like a big load had lifted.
1: Absolutely. And like the wig scene, which was, interestingly enough, never happened. It was the one thing that had never happened. But it was that my mother did used to wear wigs because she was hungover and didn't want to do her hair. And it embarrassed me, you know. And so, but it was the 70s. I think a lot of people were wearing wigs, but there was something about it I hated. And so the interesting thing is, is that it was as if that happened to me. And it's such a painful chapter. And I remember asking a friend, you know, is this, would this be appropriate for, for at her age? And they're like, absolutely. A friend who had a child that age. And I said, okay, I'm going to do it. And so sometimes it was just tapping the feeling of being the child of an alcoholic and, you know, the imaginary break. I used to have the imaginary break when we were driving. I'm like, oh my God, she's going to kill us. And, and, you know, sort of stepping on that break. When you're 10, that's, that's it's sort of a painful memory.
0: Oh, I can't even imagine. I mean, it's got to be know. beyond a painful memory. And the administrator, I mean, you know, you also brought that so vividly to the page where the, the woman's like, you know, there's not a lot I can do here, but this poor girl, you know, like she knows that this is not the way it should be. And it's just such a terrible thing.
1: Yeah. And I think, you, you know, you see people, adults looking at you and you know, some of them know. You know, my great aunt knew and, and she actually tried to, con- you know, I, I broke down several times and that call that the terrible call where she calls and there's a man in the background, right. that happened to me. Oh, and gosh. my great aunt comforted me. I was sobbing and she just, and she was mad and she, you know, called my mother and cause, cause Anastasia, my great aunt was very, very Christian, very Catholic. And this was inconceivable to her. And so, you know, it was this big hoopla, which I had never seen so this was this was sort of like about the be you know the early years of my life, um, and the interesting thing is the one I'm working on now is is this time in my life, which is has been an interesting process. But this book, I think, it needed seventeen years.
0: And I'm assuming your mom is not around anymore.
1: No, she died. She did sober up when I was twelve, though. You know, I never could have a real. Uh, Mother daughter relationship at that point because I'd been essentially running the household for three years. We became friends, and when she she sobered up, she brought me with her, and she took me to AA. And she, you know, I made cakes for the meetings, and she involved me, and I was an alateen even though I was too young. And so, if she hadn't have done that, Cindy, I'm not sure we could have uh, resolved our relationship. But it was the smartest thing she had ever done because it it enabled us to get close in a very non traditional way. But by the time she, she left, I was 31 when she died, and we talked every day.
0: I'm so glad because I think it's really difficult when those relationships are unresolved and someone passes. So I'm so happy for you. While you had a terrible time for a while, you all were able to move past that and have a good relationship.
1: Absolutely. And it definitely, you know, I don't regret it, oddly enough. It, it made me, it's part of who I am. Um, it made me incredibly resilient. It gave me my love of horror which is interesting. But, it, you know, I read a lot of horror at that time because it made me feel better about my difficult life. And, you know, it was like, OK, so my life sucks, but at least there's not zombies. Exactly. There's no monster living in the wall. Exactly. Though I wasn't sure about that
0: one. But, you know, <laughs> uh, I always worried about a monster under the bed when I was young.
1: Oh, me too. The basement sucked. I would go down the stairs and swear that something was going to grab at my ankles. And it's a very common fear at that age. So now I'm writing middle grade for that age. And I love the pure fear that you have when you're 10, 11 years old. It's so, and it's still things that frighten me, like dolls, you know, dolls with the eyes that blink creep me out.
0: Sitting on the shelf, blinking at you.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I don't fall asleep near it, man. I couldn't have them in my room.
0: I was going to say, take them out of the room. There's somebody who was just posting recently about some Airbnb they stayed at and they got there and there were all these dolls and they were like, I could just not even stay in the house. <laughs> no,
1: no, I couldn't. I'd be gone. Yeah, me
0: too. Well, what surprised you the most when writing the storyteller's death?
1: I think Isla's voice, she was she's bolder than I was. And it had sort of the spirit where I I tended to sort of say what I thought at times where it was not appropriate, and it's particularly down there. But um, she, she sort of, you know, because she's like me, but she's not me. And I love the way these characters sort of take on a life of their own. And she was, she surprised me at several points. And I gave her the boyfriend I always wish I had.
0: That's the beauty of writing fiction, right?
1: Exactly, exactly. Because I used to, you know, my family is so, oh, I don't know like the, the teens at that age and the twenties, they didn't go out. They didn't go to clubs. They were, they were sort of boring. And so I sort of like the idea of having this handsome young guy in the property, there was a, there was a boy when I was, you know, eight or nine and uh, who was work, you know, his father, he was either from the neighborhood or his father's working there. And I loved him and I came in and announced to my great aunt that I was going to marry him. (laughs) And you know, that love that you feel when you're little and, and she's like you can't marry him he's 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 a, you know below your station or something i'm like what and and you know little by little i started to realize that she was essentially a bigot in the classes but you know when you're young it was like i don't understand what you mean by that so another thing i was dealing with in this book was learning something about someone you love so intensely that you detest You know, I, I can't handle bigotry. My mother was, did not raise me that way. And, you know, I was raised everybody is equal in the eyes of God. And so that, and there she was this Christian woman telling me that this boy was beneath me and, and she would, you know, say things that were homophobic. And, and so to sort of rectify the fact that I can still love her, but she, you know, says these things that are odious to me. So this book helped me process that as well.
0: Well, I think you can love someone but not love every single thing about them.
1: Exactly, particularly with family. Absolutely.
0: And older relatives. I think generational things really do change. And so sometimes it's harder in the younger generations to understand what the older generations are talking about.
1: Exactly, and what she had had to deal with. I mean, she never married. You know, I had my own thoughts about, you know, what did she want? Did anybody ever ask her? And so, you know, I I, I don't and like you said, I well, I don't know what her inner workings with were or what she had to deal with and she wouldn't have told me so i sort of have to give her the benefit of the doubt but i was angry about it for a while and so this helped me this another way the book writing the book was cathartic
0: that's wonderful that it was cathartic in so many ways because like i said earlier it must have just been such a nice way to lighten the load a little bit
1: absolutely and to do it in a and when you add the magical element which just sort of happened it was not intentional it, it also and this is why i love magical realism right it's 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 the literary form of the colonized and so these are people dealing with lives that they don't have as much control over and so the, the the bits of magic alleviate some of that and 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 help give you hope and so that's sort of why i think it sort of happened naturally with this it was a way of having hope and it was a way of processing in the moment
0: well what about the title and the cover I love the cover. I think it is just stunning. And I was so curious how both came about.
1: Sure. I mean, I, I, I think originally it was uh, The Gift of the Quintista. And, you know, when I, originally, when I started writing it, and, and then I sort of realized that not, you know, Quintista was not going to be known to people who didn't speak Spanish, which is Storyteller. And so when I submitted it, I had already come to the Storyteller's death. And I'm going to tell you a secret. That it had started with a prologue of Isla in her 60s in Puerto Rico, going to the property and seeing it's a parking lot and sort of reflecting on that time. And so she's reflecting on it. And that is the book. And then in the end, you see her grandson hiking in Colorado, and he sees a vision, his grandmother. And um, you realize that the storyteller's death is hers. Ah, I know, but she, you know, my editor's like that first line, we want to get right into the story. And so in my heart, it's sort of like, not the end of her life, but a way, you know, a retrospective, but at the heart of it is like, when a storyteller dies, they're not really dead, right? Because you have their stories that live on. And one of the reasons I started writing family stories is because I wanted my son to know them because my mother died before he was born. He does go to Puerto Rico and he loves that side of the family. And so he has that connection, but I wanted him to know the stories. And that's why I became a writer initially. And so, you know, to sort of focus on the idea that the storyteller's death isn't the same as anyone's death because they leave behind these, these living sort of things. Does that make sense?
0: It totally does. And that's actually something I've been thinking so much about in the last year, because my mom passed away a little over a year ago. And she was great. She wasn't a storyteller, but she was great about just making sure we knew the different family connections and things that had happened and all of that. And there are so many times now where unconsciously I'll be like, oh, I need to call my mom and ask her about that family story or that family person or what the connection was here. And I'm always like, oh, you know, I can't do that now. And I so badly wish I'd had her write a lot of it down or I'd written a lot of it down.
1: That is what I say to young people. I'm like, take a recorder and talk to your elders because when they die, those stories go. And when Anatia, when I I saw her for the last time, my great aunt, she was, she hadn't been lucid. She hadn't recognized people in months. And I I walked in there and with my cryptic Spanish and man, she knew who I was. And she asked me, you know, she said, you know, donde está Elena, where where is Elena, my mother? And I said, Se murió, you know, she died. And she was so grief stricken and it was, and my mother had died years before, but it was like, she came to life for that moment. And I said, damn, it, I should have like gotten more stories from her and written them down. And so I say to young people, you think you're not interested, but you're going to be, you know?
0: Yes. And that's the problem. You know, a lot of those things are not really important to us or in the forefront of our minds until it's too late. And I just hate that.
1: Exactly. And that's one of the reasons why I love writing, because I, I just feel like my son is being left with this, you know, sort of the w- way my weird brain works. He can sort of see that in the work. Oh, and the cover. So on the cover of the book is Canepas. I was very particular that, you know, there's, there's really no beach in this book. And I, and Bayamon is landlocked. And, um and I was like, the, the, you know, I don't want to exotify the island. You know, we don't want a beach on there. And it was, there was another book, um, The Drunken tree, tree, The Tree of the Drunken Flower. I, I forget the title. It's a beautiful book. And it had a, a fruit on it uh, uh, from the tree. And I said, Well, what about canepas being an impor, important part in the book? There's a very sensual scene with canepas. And they're essentially a pit with fruit as opposed to the other way around because there's very little fruit on the outside. And you tell anybody from the Caribbean, you show them a picture, and they're like, Ah, canepas. It's sort of like hearing the cookies, the tree frogs. They get all, oh. And so because they're important to the story and because they're so important to Puerto Ricans, I wanted it. um, I actually have it tattooed on my arm. I got it in the last couple of months we were working on it, but they're just very symbolic. And so I love having them on there because it's something, it, it has the tropical feel, but it also has a meaning to people from the island.
0: And that's why I like to ask about covers so often because it does tie in with your story. And I think when someone sees it, they're like, oh, that's a pretty cover. But then when they read the book and they look and they're like, oh, now I see why those are on the cover. And I just think that there's, it just means so much more because usually a lot more goes into a cover than people realize.
1: Absolutely. And they, you know, source books put a lot of attention into it and they were really, they listened to me. Um, It was a, a, it was a great process. So I'm very happy with it.
0: And I like the way they did the yellow all around. Yeah. To sort of
1: show the age and the, because it's very much, you know, it's not historical fiction really, technically, but it is in some ways because I was trying to capture a particular time. But, you know, there wasn't, I wasn't going to get into a lot of the, the history because this is more about family and stories and generational trauma. And so I wanted to keep the focus on, on the family itself.
0: Well, I'm glad you did. I thought it worked beautifully. Thank you. Well, what about what you've read recently that you really liked?
1: I just finished Half Blown Rose by Lisa Cross Smith. It's a beautiful book. I'm working on a a book about a woman who goes on a pilgrimage, not a traditional one, sort of, uh, you know, it's essentially about who we are as women. Once society tells us we're invisible and we don't have as much of a function and it's sort of like, well, who am I? And um, there's a, there's a, you know, I'm, I'm 59 and there's this freedom to your fifties where it's like, and your sixties, where you're like, I don't care what anybody thinks anymore. And, and, and being invisible is kind of fun. And, you know, there's, there's this incredible freedom and power in that. And so I wanted to sort of address that. That's why I say it's like two different ends of my life. So half blown rose is about a woman who goes to Paris and sort of, you know, to sort of examine herself and look at her life. And and it was very beautifully done. Also that I read the dot the daughter of Dr. Moreau. By Sylvia Moreno Garcia, and it's um, she's the author of Mexican Gothic, which was a, an incredible book. And uh, this one I love because I grew up watching like Creature Feature on Friday night. My I had three older brothers, and boy did they love horror. And The Island of Dr. Moreau was very much part of our our uh, uh, monthly movie watching. And so she sort of reimagines that, and everything she writes has this anti-colonialist thing, which I love. And so I really enjoyed that as well. I actually ordered the special edition from England with bright pink edges, you know, stippled edges on the outside because I I loved it so much.
0: I think it's so interesting that the covers vary a lot depending on where you are. And sometimes it is really nice to have some of those other covers as well, particularly if you like them better.
1: Yeah, and it's... um, In England, they do very interesting things with sort of special editions. And so I really... Love the 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 images of of what they had done with her book. I also uh, am currently reading The Devil Takes You Home by Gabino Iglesias. and he's a, a friend, another Puerto Rican writer. He's in the process of blowing up, and it is so exciting to see because it, it's he's the hardest working person in writing, as far as you know that's concerned. And he um they yesterday they had his book on in Times Square, you know, on the thing, and it was like you know, that's like a life goal for most writers. And so it was so exciting to see that happen. It is a very dark book. Um, he's b- primarily a horror writer, but the interesting thing about him is that it's just gorgeous. The language and the writing is spectacular.
0: Well, I'm very glad you warned me because I don't do very well with very dark, but I'm glad he is blowing up. Oh yeah, Cindy,
1: that is not your book. Yeah. Um, but he's, <laughs> and but he, he fascinates me because he does it in such, he he covers these dark sort of parts of the soul with very beautiful language, which I really admire.
0: Well, Anne, this has been delightful. And I'm so happy that you came on the Thoughts from a Page podcast to chat with me about the storyteller's death. Thank you.
1: Oh, thank you. It was so wonderful to talk to you. And I I so enjoy the, the podcast. And so I'm honored to be a part of it. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really appreciate your taking the time to listen to my podcast. I wanna quickly share about this wonderful company I am now partnering with. I am always looking for entities that promote and highlight books and recently came across Book Clubs, a company who provides all sorts of resources for established and new book clubs, as well as individual readers. My own personal book club recently signed up on Book Clubs and the group has been impressed with all of the great tools the site and app provide. The Book Clubs website is linked in my show notes and I hope you will check them out soon. Also, if you like my show, I would be so grateful if you would tell everyone you know about it and rate it on whichever platform you listen on. It truly makes a huge difference and really helps the show grow. The book discussed in this episode can be purchased at my bookshop storefront, and that link is also in the show notes. I hope you will check out some other thoughts from a page episodes and have a great day.